1: You may have already guessed that I'm a huge fan of partnership marketing, that's teaming up with other HR-related businesses to find and acquire new customers and clients. Today, I'm talking with one such innovative company that is growing 100% through partnership marketing. It's an award-winning HR tech employee assessment platform that is used for employee recruitment and development. So I'm joined today by Martin Goodwill, CEO of Great People Inside UK. Hi, Martin. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Ben. good Good to be with you. Excellent. Martin, before we actually go into the platform itself, do you want to tell us about you and your background?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I have a probably an unusual uh, background. As I say, one of my claims to fame for working in the psychometric assessment field is that I'm not a psychologist and I've never worked in HR. Oh. Um I had a pretty extensive career in the logistics industry, um, where probably the universal point uh, of my career was that I managed teams of people. And a big part of managing those teams was obviously to optimize the way that we, uh, we used them and to make sure that we got that level of discretionary effort from them. So I came across psychometric assessments as a way both of making sure I got the best people into my teams, but also making sure that the people I had, I got as much out of them as I possibly could. Um, when I left the logistics industry back in, uh, in the mid-noughties, uh, psychometrics was where I ended up, and I've worked in the industry now for the last 13 years. Brilliant. I have to say that Sure, you may not have
1: started in that area, but I know I actually studied HR and industrial relations and all that sort of stuff and went into a graduate program and things like that. But it wasn't until I actually ran a team that I realized I don't know anything about HR managing people so
2: I don't, yeah I'm not I'm not totally convinced that you know you talk to a lot of HR practitioners and they'll say in a way it's not really about the physical day to day management of people that is what line managers do mm. so you know some of the things that have a typical HR slant are not always as important they're probably less important sometimes to HR than they are to the folks who actually run the teams in the business I mean yeah. each HR managers run their own teams so it's important from that perspective but in the overall business context. We, we work with and we enable line managers to be more effective in what they do.
1: Excellent. Well, that is a nice little lead into the platform itself. So do you want to tell us what does the great people inside HR Tech Platform actually do? Absolutely. We're an
2: assessment provider with a difference. And the difference is our ability to use current technology to deliver what we deliver in a very different way. So if someone looks at the output from what we do, they won't see that it's any different from psychometric assessments they've seen before. But the assessments that our clients use are totally customised. The client chooses exactly what they want to measure. They choose the length of the assessment, the complexity of the assessment, the exact content of the assessment, so that when somebody takes it, the only things that are being measured are the core and and key elements of the role that they've applied for, or the values and competencies that that organization stands for. and that makes us a little bit different. Everyone else delivers off-the-shelf off the packages, and you have to measure what's in the package. You can't vary it in any way. We go completely against that. We're also a little bit different in the sense that we produce our reports, I I was going to say in plain English, but as we're a global (laughs) company, in in plain language. So they can be used by line managers. They don't need necessarily to have HR support. They don't need people to interpret what the reports are telling them. So a line manager who's never used them before will be able to sit down with the report and actually understand what we're telling them about the person in front of them. Got
1: you, right. I've recently had a conversation with a copywriter and that'll be coming onto the podcast, but we had a bit of a chat around features and benefits. So what are some of the features and benefits of the platform?
2: Essentially, the customization means that people can, we, we can help organizations with in areas that they would typically not expect to be able to, to assess. If you talk to most organizations, they don't assess people at entry level within the organization, and yet the vast majority of people that join them are in those areas. So when they get it wrong, per capita, the cost of getting it wrong isn't all that high, but there are an awful lot of people that actually come in and go out through the revolving door when, when organizations get recruitment wrong. We also work a lot with, uh, with SMEs, and SMEs are, uh, typically think that assessments are for bigger companies and they're not, but SMEs can use our assessments, and it's at, but what we do is scalable to the largest multinational, but all the way down to almost the one-man band. Not much point in a one-man band. You wouldn't assess anyone else, but uh, the smaller organizations can use us just as easily, um, and they're usable on any device anywhere that you, uh, you need to actually employ them. So you know, I, I'm a little bit older. I, I can't quite conceive of an idea of taking an assessment on a mobile phone. But all of our assessments are actually formatted so they can be taken on a phone, on a tablet, on a laptop or on the desktop without really losing any of the the benefits so people can complete them anywhere at any time that suits them. Right, I
1: see. Can I go back to the SME thing? Is that a hard sell because SMEs probably aren't used to using software for the HR side of things?
2: An awful lot of SMEs particularly, we we don't work directly with them as clients. So we work through organizations that we call channel partners, and they are individuals or organizations who work in the HR arena. And a lot of those people work with SMEs because SMEs need HR advice. They need the kind of uh, procedures and processes in place that that allow them to operate legally, um, but they don't need to have someone on site all of the time. So the kind, the idea of the virtual HR manager is is uh, is doing pretty well out there. And it's our ch- channel partners who actually introduce this to SMEs so that they have the benefit of being able to use it um, without necessarily having to learn too much about how the, the process works behind the scenes. They just get the benefit of the information it gives them at the end of the process. Okay. Now, I did
1: start. I did say in the uh, start of the, the show that you guys operate with a, a 100% uh, channel partner or partnership marketing approach. So can you tell us what is this um, channel partner uh, approach? And firstly, what is a channel partner?
2: Well, a channel partner is an independent practitioner, so they could be an HR consultant, learning and development consultants, leadership consultants, coaches, or recruiters. Um, and they are working out in the, in the market as independent practitioners, working with companies of all kinds of different sizes. And they really become our feet on the street. We train them how to use the, the, the platform, to use the assessments, to, to read the, the, the reports that we produce and they're able to introduce those into their clients. Um, and that's our route to market. We, we believe that actually doing it in that way, we automatically massively increase the number of people who are going to be out there, um, but we offer them great incentives to actually be part of our network so that in the end everyone gains. But by not going directly to clients as great people inside UK, we're not competing with them. We're not undercutting them. We're not offering discounts that they don't have access to. So everyone that operates in the UK market is working from the same price list. So everybody's competing on level, on a level playing field.
1: Right. So who are your ideal channel partners?
2: They quite often... Op- Often, and we, it, it's quite surprised me, actually. We we are currently heading to around 25 channel partners in the UK, having started recruiting at the beginning of this year. And quite a number of those people are probably in the first or second year of their uh, development as a, a self-employed uh, consultant. And what our proposition does for them is, and why it's attractive is because we made a decision at the beginning of the year that for at least 2019, we were actually accrediting organizations Organizations or individuals free of charge, which is a pretty unique offering that we, are, we have for people joining us. I don't think anyone else in our industry offers that. We do don't know what's going to happen in 2020. We haven't yeah. made the decision yet.
1: Oh, okay. What, what do you mean by the charge? What would others do?
2: Typically, they would be charged several thousand pounds up front to attend a three or four day training event where they would be told inside out everything about how a platform works. Um, And then at the end of it, they would be able to go out and actually sell the tools that came as part of that. Now, for a lot of organizations say their business is fairly new, then they are probably time-rich and cash-poor. Even if they're reasonably well-established, they may not actually feel they want to make an investment in something that ultimately they may not find a market for. Mm -hmm. And that's the key thing, is unless you come into something like this knowing there's a market there already, the risk is you invest a significant amount of money and then never actually get a return on that investment. We've gone down a different route. And we've simply said, the investment is a day of your time with us. When we've gone through that day, you will know significantly more. Go out and test the market and then use us when you find the opportunities that come your way. And there are some people we trained in in early January who haven't yet found their first customer. There are people that we trained a couple of months ago and we're working on projects with them already. So it's a hugely variable feast.
1: And sorry, you said that that may be changing, that, that
2: charge system only because we haven't made a decision. At the end of it, we are looking, our ambition is to have 50 channel partners in the company by the end of 20, 2019. Uh, and we will make a decision then. What we provide for people is, is terrific value. They are going to get a great deal from actually working with us. And the benefits that they get from working with us are quite high. And that does potentially have a cost associated with it, or should have a cost associated. But we are a new business in the UK. We want to build our brand. We want to have people who are out there talking about us Uh, and when that happens when we get to a certain tipping point then we're hoping that the people we bring on at that point will see the value of it and won't mind actually contributing towards the cost of training them and, and equipping them to do the book all right and this is in the UK only right it is. Yeah. And, yep. and I mean, we have colleagues around, around the world, uh, my equivalents and, and some of them are taking a similar approach. Some of them are taking a different approach They're Uh, and so we're all in a way testing our own markets to see what the market will bear. Okay. Um, but for me, it's, uh, I, I have an analogy I use all the time, Ben, which is razors and blades. And it's when you look at a company like Gillette, when yeah. you buy a razor that from Gillette, you are not paying the cost that it costs them to actually produce that razor. Yeah. What you are actually doing is giving you're getting the, the ability to then spend a lot of money over the years on the blades that go with the razor. Ours is not so different. We don't want people to spend money on the razor because they might choose not to buy our razor. We want them to come and join us and then look out for those opportunities opportunities. opportunities to sell the blades onto all their clients.
1: No, that makes sense that feeds into what I was wondering about is why would a consultant actually become a channel partner so do you want to sort of dive into that a bit
2: yeah I mean one of the key reasons why people do first of all and unsurprisingly it's another tool in their toolbox and that's never a bad thing for people to have some of our partners are working with with other very sort of specifically uh, uh, designed assessments that work in areas that we don't some of them have nothing that they do at all with this but the key part of it is that these the income stream and the the fact, I was looking at something on LinkedIn this morning, Ben. Where, and it was a picture of the sea crashing on the shore. You know, and it's the time of year when an awful lot of people are thinking about going away on holiday. When you're doing that and you're an employed person, you're thinking, great, I can turn everything off. I can have a relaxing couple of weeks. When you're a self-employed person, you can you can do the same, but you're thinking, actually, I'm not going to earn any money during that two weeks because all I charge for is my time. Mm. And if my time is on the beach, then that's actually not paying time. What we do is we provide an income stream that actually continues when, the, when they're away. It continues whether they're on holiday, it continues if perhaps unfortunately they're ill, it continues during the course of bank holidays and all of those times when in other circumstances they wouldn't be earning any money. Um, so the right kind of deals with the right kind of clients provide them with a, a significant opportunity to have an underlying income stream that makes the rest of their business life just a little bit more relaxed. It's very good.
1: It's just consultants that you partner with correct it's not with tech firms there's no api connections or anything like that
2: no. I mean, we are, we are able, for example, to link with pretty much all of the applicant tracking systems, but that's usually done on a client-by-client basis. So, if one of the clients that our channel partners uh, brings to, to, to the surface is a large company that uses an ATS for every job that they put out there, then our ability to then connect with that uh, applicant tracking system and, and make sure that ours is just a fundamental part of their application process, we can do that relatively easily. The simple answer is we, haven't, we don't rule out anything. We're, we're, we're new. And so we're directing our main channel to market. But if somebody wanted to talk to us who isn't in a, the mainstream of what we're looking at right now, conversation never hurts.
1: Okay. Going back to the way that the consultants might partner up and use the platform in their work and in the consulting business, do you have some examples of how current partners are using it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of our channel partners are coaches. And so we have, alongside our psychometric, we have customizable 360 surveys. So they use the 360 survey to start the conversation with a new coachee. So they've got an idea of what this individual is like from the people who generated the coaching opportunity but the 360 tells them how they're perceived by the people that work around them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, With our psychometrics they can be used for development so they're used as a a sort of deep dive when someone perhaps isn't performing as well as they might be against the uh, the parameters that other people are achieving then they can take a look at where the gaps are and help to train and coach them so that they can pick up their performance level. But in the main, you know, we focus on it a a lot more is around the recruitment piece. And very few of the people we have as channel partners actually work in the recruitment field but their clients recruit every day. And so it's very much a case of of training them not to just look at this as a tool that they use in their work, but a tool that would benefit their clients in other ways and that would still be in use even when they're not actually on the premises. So the client continues to use it when the channel partner's away doing a different project, which is why they have that underlying income stream.
1: Yeah, I see. I know from experience and from many of the consultants I've spoken with or worked with, through the blog and the podcast and et cetera, they might go in for whether it's an employee retention issue or an employment law issue such as contracts and all that kind of stuff or an underperforming employee. They're brought in to help the business owner or the the business leadership team sort those problems out. But as you say, this sits alongside that, but it's very closely aligned. So a consultant might be coming in to solve one problem, but they might say, well, if you can raise the standard of your incoming staff by better selecting them through a tool like Great People Inside, then they're going to be a better consultant. They're going to be helping the business more, but also, as you say, you've got the whole, was it razor and blades thing going on? Absolutely.
2: And, even, yeah. and I, I, think, I think a big part of the, of the issue is that people don't realize how much information they're given when they're having a conversation with a potential client. That you know, you'll have conversations around all kinds of topics about where, where is it hurting right now? Where are the pain points for the organization? And, of course, what they're, what they're tuned into is working out what are the pain points that I can help you with. They haven't considered necessarily that the assessments might be one of them until they actually come across our radar and we have those conversations. And then all of a sudden, some of the things that the client might say become quite relevant and become something that they can actually say, well, Let's talk about that a little bit more and understand it so that we can see. I I have a tool that I think might be able to help you, but let me understand the problem a bit more. And I I typically see, um, you know, on on things like LinkedIn, that when people are talking about employee retention, which you mentioned, um, they're saying, you know, well, what you need is a great onboarding process. Or what you need is fantastic engagement once the people are on board. What they're truly ignoring is that actually if you recruited the wrong person in the, in the first place, no amount of, uh, of onboarding and, and engagement work is, is going to help you. So you know, essentially, the money that you spend on, on recruiting them was wasted. The money you spend on onboarding is wasted. And the money that you spend on, on engaging them is wasted because they're simply not suited to be in that role or in that organization. So a huge part of it is get the right people in in the first place. And actually, you open up the potential for them to be onboarding successfully and engage successfully and stay for longer it's it's an ongoing challenge for anybody in the hr world is how do you keep your people the starting point has to be get the right people in the first place yep
1: okay so for my next question i need to flag to listeners that i i don't have shares in this company and i'm not getting any kickbacks or anything like that i just i genuinely think that everyone should always be thinking in terms of how can i use partnership marketing because it's just mm. i've used it throughout my career both in the hr and in the marketing side in consulting and in tech partnership marketing just works oneness it's it's a way of achieving scale so to do that if someone is listening to this and they're thinking yeah do you know what i'm a consultant in the uk and this sounds really interesting i'd like to pursue this what would actually happen if someone said yep i'm going to partner up and become a channel partner how does that work
2: Well, the first thing we would do is we would invite them along to one of our accreditation days. And those accreditation days are a no-obligation way of finding out uh, as much as they can about the organization, about the tools, about the platform, the science behind what we do, how we sell and market what we do. To give them a really good idea of what they're actually going to be getting involved in if at the end of that day they actually choose to join us. And, you know, I wouldn't pretend, Ben, that everybody that sits around one of those tables joins us at the end of it because they don't for a whole variety of reasons. But if they get to the end of that and then they decide, yeah, actually, this really would be for me. I can see opportunities there with my existing client base or with people that I've dealt with before. It's a reason for me to go back and talk to them. Then we set the wheels in motion. There is a very simple agreement that they have to sign. And once that agreement's signed, then we actually provide them with a a large amount of different collateral. We personalize one of our brochures for them and give them an e-brochure with their contact details on. Uh, We add them to our website so that they've got the opportunity. If people are looking and they want to work with someone who's local to them, they can find out which of our existing channel partners is actually local to them geographically Um, and we provide them with a whole range of tools all during 2019 are free of charge so no one is actually paying us up to the point that they actually start using the assessments but once they get that chance to actually go into a client and do that This is the kind of opportunity that they can sign a three-year agreement on, and it will keep on paying them for three years, which means they have a constant contact with that client and a reason to be in touch with them in a way that people who consult and charge for their time typically don't. People who do that typically would be there for a period of time while a project was undertaken, and then they would leave again. This is a reason to actually stay in contact. So the next project that comes up, they're the automatic pick for it so from our perspective we could never go down the route of, re- of employing the number of people that we want to have out in the field working with our tools it's just not a viable prospect because typically it's it's a hard product for people who are not already in the marketplace to actually sell but if you're in the marketplace as a consultant now you already know the people you're going to sell it to you just haven't had the conversation yet
1: yeah from talking to a number of the HR consultants, the holy grail for many of them is the retainer system. So having a number of clients who pay a monthly retainer and mm. then they may do project work on top, this is one way to achieve that retainer rate is to offer this platform to, them, to those clients.
2: Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I, I know it's the, it's the sort of the, uh, the holy grail for anyone to be, a reta- to be retained, because obviously it means that you can predict what your income is going to be over a given period of time. But of course, it's not available to everybody. Not all organizations want to commit to that with their, uh, with their partner. So you basically take the work on a project by project basis but it means you can be incredibly busy. You're almost selling more time than you have at one period of time. And then in in a relatively short period of time, there's nothing there. The hardest thing for for someone in, in that situation when you're selling your time is to actually win the next piece of business before this piece of business finishes. And as I said, what we provide is that underlying income that at least keeps the wolf from the door while they're actually working on what the next project looks like. But it can be much more than that you know our channel partners whatever they sell if they if they work with the pricing list that we give them they keep 50% of what's on that price list and that can be quite substantial for larger organisations but even smaller ones even working with SMEs the aggregated revenue from a, a group of SMEs can actually be quite significant and certainly it can be the equivalent of 2 3 days a, a month uh, based on their typical billing rates nice
1: All right, I might change direction slightly. I use these podcasts to to draw out information from various businesses on how they've grown so that people listening can benefit from that. I also use them selfishly to keep in the loop with what's going on in the HR industry. So (laughs) let me uh, hit you up for some information. What are your thoughts on the HR industry itself? What are the challenges and changes that you see coming down the track?
2: I think, I mean, the, the main challenge is basically the, the, the degree and pace of change that we're seeing. And that's not restricted to HR, that's just business in general. Yeah. Um, and I, I've listened to a number of webinars, read a whole host of different things and, and seen that there are conferences about, you know, the future of work. But when you actually dig into what people are talking about, the future of work seems to revolve almost entirely around artificial intelligence and automation, but those are not the only factors that are going to fundamentally change the world of work for us. Um, you know, here, here in the UK particularly, you know, we have Brexit looming at some point. And no one even now can tell us whether we have a deal or whether we don't have a deal, what that is actually going to look like and the impact it's going to have. Yeah. What we do know is it is probably going to create a labor shortage if we have, a, have more difficulty bringing people into the country to satisfy jobs we don't have the labor for already. But if you move beyond that as a UK-only issue, we have, you know, what, what regulations coming down the track to follow on from GDPR? Uh, how much more are we going to be looking at things like the gig economy? What provisions do we have to make for diversity and inclusion? You know, we're, we're, it should, you, you wouldn't think necessarily it would have the same impact, but we, we're looking at the moment down the barrel of four more years of Trump in the States, the US-China trade war, the differences that different generations create for us. And, and those are only the things we can actually mention now. We don't know everything that's coming down the track. So what we have in many cases is a very static and very rigid workforce looking at a future that is going to be far from rigid. It's going to be nothing but but change after change after change. And if organizations don't set themselves up to future-proof themselves by at least ensuring their staff are able to cope with that change or have the ability to at least react to it, then I think organizations will have a problem. The, The idea of doing the same job every day for the whole of your life I don't think that I don't think it exists now but it's certainly not going to exist in future. Absolutely.
1: And what's your advice to HR professionals and employers on how to face these challenges?
2: I think uh- most organizations recruit for the job that's there in front of them. So somebody will be in an interview right as we're speaking, Ben, and they're going to be recruited to do a job that, you know, let's assume they were going to start on Monday. Unlikely, I know. But they will have been tested and checked, and hopefully they've got the competencies they need to do the job on Monday. But if that job changes in a week's time, they haven't done anything to ensure that that person has the ability to change. They've only checked that they can do today's job. So I, I was, uh, when I went to school, we did woodwork. And one of our teachers had the, uh, the key thing that he always used to say, if you want to avoid making mistakes, you measure twice and you cut once. And I don't think this is too different with a slight change of wording. You measure twice, you recruit once. You measure once for the job you need them to do today or on Monday. You then measure again for their ability to be flexible, their ability to be resilient, and how able they are to survive and thrive in a world of change. There are still, sadly, a lot of people out there who want to just come in, do their job, go home without having to think too much about it. And I don't think those jobs will exist. And if, but if those are the people that you recruit today, tomorrow, it's too late to regret it. It will already have cost you a lot of money.
1: Right. Indeed. All right, Martin, we've covered a lot of ground there. If an HR consultant is interested in becoming a channel partner, what should they do? And have you any final thoughts or suggestions for them?
2: Easiest thing in the world is let's have a conversation. Um, you know, we're, we're there, we don't believe in hard sell. At the end of the day, we believe that what we have should have a value, the right people. And if people decide for themselves that it's not right for them, that's absolutely fine. It's better to work that way. So all they need to do is to contact me. It probably best by email or contact me via LinkedIn. But the email address is martin.goodwill@greatpeopleinside.com and i will give them a call quite happily we'll have a no a, a no uh, commitments conversation and see where that takes us
1: sounds good i'll add the email and the, the website address to the show notes if you're listening so you just go and check the show notes for that great
2: stuff appreciate that ben thank you
1: no problem martin we've covered a lot of good stuff there so i really appreciate all your insights and uh, and help today thank you very much
2: you're welcome and thanks for the opportunity ben